0: Section 23 of the Book of Camping at Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Camping at Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness by Horace Kaffart. Chapter 19 Trophies, buckskin, and Rawhide in skinning the head of any animal, if it is to be given to a taxidermist for mounting, the slit should be made up the back of the neck instead of the throat, so that no seam may show in the finished trophy. After cutting around the neck, close to the shoulders and brisket, make an opening cut from the centre of the top of the skull, just back the antlers, and slit the skin along the top of the neck, back to the end of the neck skin. Then, make a straight cut to the base of each antler, the result being a Y-shaped incision as shown in the figure. Then, work off the skin of the neck, being careful not to rupture any of the large blood vessels in doing so. Now, turn the head to one side and insert the knife between the base of the skull and the first, or atlas, vertebra, severing the muscles and tendons. Then, turn the head in the opposite direction, perform a similar operation there. Give wrench and the skull is detached. Cut off the cartilage of the ears close to the skull and cut and pry the skin away from the base of each antler, inserting under the skin a wedge-shaped stick and pounding a little on it. Peel off the skin until the eye sockets are reached. Be careful here not to cut the eyelids. Use the small blade of your pocket knife and work deliberately, then peel the skin off as far as the lips, taking pains not to cut the skin where it sinks into the pit below the eye. When the lips are reached, cut close to the bone all around, so as to leave the cartilage attached to the skin. Sever the cartilage of the nose well back of the nostrils. The skin is now free from the skull. If the head is that of a moose, split the bell all the way down on the back side. Pare off all the flesh, especially from the butts of ears, lips, and nose. But do not trim away the cartilage. Split the lips on the inside to allow the salt to penetrate. Detach the skin of the back of the ears from the cartilage and skin them clear the tips if you can, but at any rate skin up the back side as far as you can do so then the salt will get in its work and keep the hair of the ears from slipping. Having carefully trimmed off all flesh that adheres to the skin, wash the latter clean of blood and wring it dry. Then cut and scrape all flesh from the skull. Disarticulate the lower jaw so that you could work better cleaner. Now get a stiff stick small enough to enter the hole at the base of the skull, splint one end by beating it, and work this end around inside the skull so as to break up and remove the brain, using water to assist you. Wash out the inside of the skull and tie the lower jaw in place. Turn the skin inside out while it is still damp and soft. On arriving at camp, Rub plenty of fine salt over every inch of the inner surface of the skin. Then roll the skin up and let it lie until morning. Do not stretch it nor hang it up by the nose. The next morning examine it carefully for soft spots where the salt has not struck in and hardened the tissues. Shave these down and rub salt into them. All told, it may take fifteen pounds of salt for a moose head do not use any alum for it would shrink the skin now hang up the skin and the skull in a shady place well out of reach of dogs and vermin never dry a skin by the fire nor in the sun when all is dry pack the skin in a sack if you have one if salt and blood get into caribou hair though it calls a rust that cannot be eradicated a bear is skinned in the same manner as a deer save. The opening slit is made by extending the belly cut up along the throat between the angles of the jaws. The bottoms of the feet must be opened. Remove the skin with the bones of the feet still in position. Remove the skull and clean it. Split the lips from the inside, turn the ears wrong side out, and wash the skin well to remove blood stains. To cure the skin, spread it out on the ground, rub salt into it, and roll it up, flesh to flesh. Next morning, fix up a sapling for a beam, as described below. Throw the skin over it, flesh side up, rub some cornmeal or ashes on it and thoroughly scrape off the fat, then salt the skin again and roll it up. Pelts of any kind can be preserved indefinitely in a soft state, without slipping the hair, by keeping them immersed in a liquor prepared by boiling some water dissolving salt in it in the proportion of one quart of salt to the gallon and adding to each gallon one ounce by measure of sulphuric acid let the liquor cool before immersing the skins hides should not be salted if it is intended to make buckskin from the-, the latter is a hard job but it is well for every big game hunter to understand the process if for no other reason than to avoid being humbug much of the so-called buckskin used by Glovers and others is a base imitation. Genuine Indian tanned buckskin ears, properly speaking, not tanned at all. Tanned leather has undergone a chemical change from the tannin or other chemicals used in converting it from the raw hide to leather. Buckskin, on the contrary, is still a raw skin that has been made supple and soft by breaking up the fibres mechanically, and has then merely been treated with brains and smoke to preserve its softness. In colour and pliability, it is somewhat like what is called shimmer skin, but it is far stronger and has the singular property that, although it shrinks some after wetting and gets stiff and drying, it can easily be made as soft as ever by merely rubbing it in the ham. For some purposes, buckskin is superior to any leather. It was used by our frontiersmen, as well as by the Indians for moccasins, leggings, hunting shirts, gun covers, and numerous other purposes. It is warmth in cloth, pliable as kit, noiseless against bushes, proof against thorns, collects no burrs, wears like iron, and its soft neutral colour renders the wearer inconspicuous amid any surroundings. When of good quality, it can be washed like a piece of cloth. Its only fault is that it is very unpleasant to wear in wet weather, but against this is the consideration that buckskin can be prepared in the wilderness with no material save those furnished on the spot by the forest, the stream, and the animal itself. Not even salt is used in its manufacture, Neither tannin, nor any substitute for it, has touched a piece of buckskin. Its fibers have been loosened and rendered permanently soft and flexible. Its pores have been closed up, but there has been little or no chemical change from the raw state of the skin, and consequently it has no tendency to rot. Different Indian tribes have different methods of making buckskin, but the essential processes are the same. Namely, 1. Soaking, 2 depiliating and fleshing. three. Stretching and treating with brains, with repeated soaking and drying. four smoking. The skin of a deer, for example, is first soaked in water from three to five days, depending on the temperature. Elk or buffalo hides were immersed in a lie of wood ashes and water are rolled up in ashes moistened with warm water. After soaking the hide is taken to a graining log which is simply a piece of sapling or small tree about 8 feet long and 6 or 8 inches thick the, butt. the bark is removed from the thick end and the other end is stuck under a root or otherwise fastened in the ground at an angle leaving the smooth end about waist height like a tanner's beam or a short log may be used one that will reach to a man's chin when stood on end, in which case a notch is cut in the butt by which the stick is braced against the limb of a small tree, the smooth surface facing the operator, and the small end sticking in the ground about two feet from the tree. A graining knife is now required. It is formerly made of wood, of flint, of the sharpened rib or scapula of any animal, or of the attached bones of a deer's foreleg, with the front end of the ulnar scraped sharp, the latter instrument being used like a spoke spokeshape. Sometimes a large, strong muscle shell was used. The favourite instrument was an A's or hoe-shaped tool made from the fork of an elk antler. After they could get iron, the squaws made skin-scrapers shaped as in the accompanying illustration. The handle being about a foot long dealers in taxidermist supplies sell scrapers made specially for this purpose the back of a thin butcher knife does well enough If the point of the blade be driven into a stick so as to give a handle at each end in fact almost anything with a scraping rather than a cutting edge will answer the purpose the skin is placed on the graining log with the neck drawn over the upper end of the log about 6 or 8 inches. The operator places a flat stick between the neck and his body to prevent slipping and presses his weight against it. If the short notched log is used, the neck is caught between the knot and the limb. The hair and grain, like epidermis, scraped off by working the knife down the skin the way the hair runs. If the hair is stubborn the little ashes rubbed into such spots will offer resistance to the knife and will make the grain slip. The hide is now turned over and fleshed with a sharp knife, removing all superfluous tissue and working the skin down to an even thickness throughout. This operation must be performed with extreme care or the buckskin will have thick and stiff spots which make it comparatively worthless, a point to be considered in buying buckskin. In olden times, when a squaw wanted to make something particularly nice, she would patiently work down deer skin until it was almost as thin and pliable as a piece of cotton cloth. After cleaning in this matter, the skin is allowed to dry, and then is re-soaked overnight. Now comes the job of stretching and softening the hide. There is only one recipe for this, elbow grease, and plenty of it. The skin is pulled, twisted, and worked in every direction until it becomes white and soft, after which the operator rubs into it the brain of the animal which have been removed by splitting the skull lengthwise half in two. Sometimes the brains are first dissolved in tepid water, being allowed to simmer over a slow fire where the lumps roll between the fingers till they form a paste which will dissolve more freely. This solution is then rubbed into the hide on the hair side which is coarser than the flesh side. The brains act as a sort of dubbing. If there is not likely to be enough for the job, the macerated liver of the animal is added to the brains. Deer brains may be preserved by mixing them with moss so as to make the mass adhere enough to be formed into a cake which is hung by the fire to dry. Such a cake will keep for years. When wanted for dressing a hide, it is dissolved in hot water, and the moss is removed. The skin may be treated by soaking it in the solution, wringing it out, drying, and re-soaking it, till it is thoroughly penetrated. After this process, the skin must again be pulled, stretched, kneaded, and rubbed, until the fibre is thoroughly loosened, and every part becomes pliable as a sham of skin. If two men are available they saw the hide back and forth over the sharpened edge of a plank or over a taut rope, lariat or a twisted sinew as thick as one's finger. Large and refractory hides may be softened by stretching them firmly on elevated frames and dancing on them. It is a hard job for one man to soften a large hide, but he can accomplish it by throwing the wet skin over a convenient limb, forming a loop, the other end, passing a stout stick through it and twisting into a hard knot, leaving it to dry. Then he soaks it and repeats the operation as often as necessary. The oftener the skin is wet and softened, the more pliable it becomes. The final process is smoking, which closes the pores, toughens the skin, gives it the desired colour, and ensures it's drying soft after wetting. Ordinarily, the skin is made its own smokehouse. A small hole is dug in the ground, and a smudge started in it. The best smudge is made from dozed wood that is from wood affected with dry rot until it is spongy. This, when dried, gives out a pale blue smoke without flame. If a particular shade of yellow or brown is desired, some discrimination must be used in selecting the fuel. Above all things, the sponge must not be allowed to break out in flame. For heating could ruin the skin. Several small poles are stuck around the hole, and the skin is wrapped around them somewhat like a teepee culper, the edges being sewed or skewered together. It is best, when practicable, to smoke two or more skins at once, so as to have plenty of room around and above the smudge when two skins of about equal size are ready a good way to smoke them is to loosely baste their edges together in the form of a bag the outside of the skins forming the inside of the bag and the after part of the skins forming its bottom the neck end being left open to the edges of the open end so a cloth continuation leaving it open suspend this bag from its bottom to a tree or pole Bend a small green stick into a hoop and place it within the bottom of the bag. Under the mouth of the bag, place a pan containing the smoldering wood. The cloth mouth is to prevent the smoke from heating. Inspect the inside of the skins from time to time when they're smoked to a deep yellow or light brown. The process is finished. Sometimes, both sides of the skins are smoked. Otherwise, fold the skins with the smoked side within and lay them away. For a few days to season this sets the color, making it permanent. The skins of antelope or any of the deer tribe are treated in the same way. Antelope, deer, moose, and caribou hides make good buckskin, but elk hide is comparatively weak and inferior material. Raw hide is often used in camp and easily prepared. Soak the fresh hide in water or in a weak lye made by adding wood ashes to water until the hair will slip. The alkali is not necessary for deer skins. Then remove the hair and stretch the hide with great force on a frame or on the side of a building, extending it in all directions as tightly as possible, so that when it dries it will be as taut as a drumhead. Dry it in the shade. Use no salt or other preservative. That is all, unless you... Wish to make the rawhide supple. In which case, rub into it thoroughly a mixture of oil and tallow. A convenient way to make a stretching frame in the woods is to go where two trees grow at the right distance apart, and notch them at the proper height to receive a strong, stiff sapling that has been cut to fit the notches. The deep cut on the latter, being at the lower side, so that no force can pull the pole down. Similarly. Fit another pole into reverse notches just above the ground, cut slits in the edges of the hide, and from them stretch thongs of very strong cords to the trees and poles, twisting them up tightly. The plains Indians used to make rawhide trunks or boxes which would stand any amount of abuse and packing and travel. These were called by the voyagers Parflish. Our dictionaries surmise that this is a French adaption of some Indian word, but it is simply Canadian French, meaning an arrow-fender, because it was from rawhide the Indians made their almost impenetrable shields. The word is commonly pronounced by Americans parfleche, with the accent on the last syllable. In making these rawhide receptacles, the thickest hides of buffalo balls were de-haired cut into the required shapes and stretched on wooden forms to dry they then retained their shapes and were almost as hard as iron a bucket can be made by cutting off from the rawhide some thin strips for lacing soaking the skin until it is quite soft shaping from it a bag sewing this up with the lace leather Fitting to it a handle of twisted or plaited hide, then filling the bucket with dry sand or earth and letting it stand till dry. Woodchuck skins are proverbially tough and are good for shoestrings and wangs. Squirrel skins can be used for thinner ones. An old summer coon skin is very good for this purpose. Woodcat skin is best of all. To prepare hide for weighing leather, soak it until the hair will slip. Do not use wood ashes unless you must, for lye will weaken the hide. Remove the hair, and then take a large tablespoonful of alum, not quite half as much salt, and rub this into the flesh side. Roll up the skin, cover with a cloth to keep moist, and let it stand about two days and a night. Then pull and work it until dry. Soften by rubbing over the edge of plank or shake. Some use soap in tanning such skins, but it makes the strings too slippery thereafter and makes them draw dampness till they rot. Laced leather is cut of uniform width by the following means. With a pair of compasses, a fork stick with pencil or metal scoring point attached to one leg will serve. Draw a circle on a piece of hide, cut out this round piece with a knife, make a starting cut of the desired width on the edge of the circular piece of hide. Drive an awl or a slender round nail into the board, and alongside of it, at precisely the width of the lace, stick the knife edge foremost, inclined a little to the rear, then lay the round bit of hide in front of the knife draw the cut strip between the awl and the knife, and steadily pull away. The round leather will evolve as the knife cuts its way, and the awl, acting as a gauge, will ensure a uniform width of placing. To make a rawhide riata, select carefully skinned hides that have no false cuts in them. A thirty-foot riata will require two large cow hides if it is to be made three-stranded, or false small ones if four stranded. Having removed the hair, stake the hides out on level ground, keeping them well stretched and constantly wetted so as not to harden. Keep them pegged out two days. Cut up the hide in the manner of laces, the width of the strip not exceeding one half inch. Wet each strip when cut and wrap it around a stick. Then fasten the strips to a tree and plait them to a uniform circumference and tightness of twist. Keep the strands and plaited portion wet. A Mexican fills his mouth with water, which squirts slowly over the work and materials. When the rope is finished, stretch it thoroughly and then grease it. To prevent its pliability, keep it continually greased. The cat gut of commerce is never made from cats any more than chamois skin is made from chamois but it can be made from the intestines of any good-sized animal. Thoroughly cleanse the intestines from all impurities inside and out. This is more easily done while the gut is still warm from the animal. Wash it and then scrape it with a blunt knife to remove slime and grease, then steep it in running water for a day or two so as to loosen both the inner and outer membranes, which is then removed by scraping. Turn the gut inside out, double back a few inches at one end, invert this, take the bag thus formed between finger and thumb, and dip water up into it till the double fold is nearly full. Then the weight of the water will cause the gut to become inverted. The fibrous inner membrane is then soaked three or four hours in water to which wood ashes have been added it is then washed free from lye and can either be split into thin fibres when it is dried or may be twisted into a bowstring or similar cord to twist it plants two stout stakes in the ground a little wider apart than the length of the cut make a saw cut and the top of each stake cut two narrow flat pieces of wood into the shape of knife blades thin enough to enter the saw cuts and notch one end of each Firmly latch each end of the gut to one of these notched ends. By alternately twisting these and fixing them in the saw cuts to prevent their running back, the gut may be evenly and smoothly twisted like a single-stranded cord. Let it dry and then rub it smooth with a woolen rag and a little grease. Bladders only need cleaning, inflation with air and drying to preserve them. They may then be made pliable by oiling. The paunches of animals after cleaning can be expanded with grass until dried. Such receptacles have many uses in wilderness camps where bottles and cans are unobtainable, for example to hold bear's oil, wild honey, and other fluid or semi-fluid substances. A very strong, pliable, and durable sewing thread is made from sinew. It splits into even threads is easy to work with when damp, and on drying it shrinks tightly and becomes almost as hard as iron. Hence it is better material than any vegetable fibres for certain kinds of sewing, particularly in sewing leather or buckskin, and for binding together any two parts such as a torn's handle where the former has no eye for bowstrings and heavy sewing, the Indians prefer the sinews of the buffalo, or the moose, and then the elk, these being coarser in texture. For finer work, they choose those of the deer, antelope, and big horn. The sinew of the panther, or mountain horn, was esteemed as the finest and most durable. The ligaments that extend from the head backwards along each side of the spinal process preferred to those of the legs. The aboriginal method of preparing and using sinew is thus described by Isham G. Allen. The sinew is prepared for use by removing all adhering flesh with the back of a knife. It is then stretched on a board or lodge pole, and left to dry for an hour or so, preparatory to the separation of the fibres or threads by twisting in the hands. By the same or similar twisting motion, and by pulling, the fibre can be extended to reasonable length. Dried sinews may readily be shredded by wetting, and if necessary, by gentle hammering. Cords or small ropes are made by twisting many fibres together between two forked sticks fastened in the ground, and during the process, rubbing with thin skins of the elk. Or deer to soften them, the largest cord I have seen made in this manner was one fourth of an inch in diameter. To prepare it for sewing, the sinew is wet and, at the needle end, rolled on the knee with the palm of the hand to a fine hard point, like that of a shoemaker's bristle. At suggested, the sinews are made sufficiently fine for use in fixing the guiding feathers and fastening the iron or flint heads of arrows, and in wrapping of clubs, etc. Formerly the oil used in sewing was a bone taken from the leg of the eagle. This has been displaced by the common sailor's needle. The overstitch is that most commonly employed in Aboriginal sewing. It may sometime happen if one wishes to prepare a sheet of parchment on which to write an important document, this can be done at the wilderness if one can kill some animal that has a gallbladder. Make the parchment like ordinary rhyo or hide from the thin skin of a medium sized animal, say a for or a wild cat. Rub it down with a flat piece of sandstone or pumice stone. Then get a smooth, water worn pebble, and with it rub every part of one surface hair side with the skin, making it firm and smooth. Then give this a coat of gall diluted with water. The old-fashioned way of making ox gall was as follows. Take the gall of newly killed ox, and after having allowed it to settle twelve or fifteen hours in a basin, pour the floating liquor off the sediment into a small pan or cup. Put the latter in a large vessel that has a little boiling water in the bottom, and keep up a boiling heat until the liquor is somewhat thick. Then spread the substance on a dish and place it before a fire until it becomes nearly dry. In this state, it can be kept for years in a pot covered with paper, without undergoing any alteration. To use it, dissolve a piece the size of a pea in a tablespoonful of water. It makes ink or watercolors spread evenly on parchment, paper or ivory. A coating of it Sets lead pencil or crown marks that they cannot be removed. It is also used for taking out spots of grease or oil. To make parchment translucent, as for a window, take a raw skin, curried and dried on a stretcher without any preservative. Step it in an infusion of water, boiled honey and the white of eggs. Another method is to soak a thin skin of parchment in a strong lye wood ashes. Often wring it out until you find that it is partially transparent, then stretch it on a frame and let it dry. This will be improved and made rainproof if, after it is dry, you coat it on both sides with clear mastic varnish made as directed below. Unsized paper or a thin skin is made waterproof and translucent by applying lightly both sides of varnish made by putting one quarter ounce gum mastic in six ounces best spirits of turpentine shake it up thoroughly day by day until dissolved the bottle should be kept in a warm place while contents are dissolving or use equal parts canada balsam fir balsam and turpentine this dries slowly but is flexible like map varnish Or dissolve half-ounce beeswax in half-ounce turpentine. End of section 23